0: From the Alaska Airlines Studio.
1: Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. I don't like all my God. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing in a 5-0. Deep right center field. He did it. The stories everyone is talking about. We got for each other. This is the Blitz at six.
2: Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you, Monday, May fourth. Ahead in this hour, NFL moving ahead with plans to release its schedule late next week without any major changes some people scratching their heads at this one they don't have to release it and still a lot of things could change of course a caveat with that if the coronavirus pandemic they've uh, forces them to they've uh, got contingency plans in the works for altering that schedule but as of now still set to go on may 9th we'll hear from the seahawks pete carroll from john schneider on how they are preparing for different scenarios and working with the virtual off-season program. Also, a couple of signings of undrafted free agents. I can speak, Lydia. Uh, they became official over the weekend. We'll talk about those, as well as a couple of fifth-year options that uh, aren't being taken, including ones in the NFC West and a former Pac-12 player, former Washington player here in Seattle, all ahead in this hour. Also, the last dance. How great was it? It just... The hardest part of watching The Last Dance is then knowing you have to wait another week for two more episodes. We've only got four left, too, so be a little bit heartbroken in two weeks. But another series of great episodes last night and our chance to hear from Kobe on Michael Jordan, their relationship. Also, the beginning of Air Jordans. All ahead in this hour. Right now, let's get to your headlines. The NFL set to release its 2020 schedule late next week without any major changes, including a September 10th. Opener, also planning for the Super Bowl to be on February 7th. And as of now, their idea is having fans in the stands. Now, this could change. A league spokesman confirmed that the schedule would be coming out. ESPN's Chris Mortensen reported back in mid April that the league planned to release its schedule based on a full season by May 9th. NFL Executive Vice President Troy Vincent told the Associated Press. Uh, This week that the league is doing, quote, reasonable and responsible planning regarding health and safety during the coronavirus pandemic. In addition to the regular season schedule, the NFL also planning to roll out its preseason lineup as well, including the Hall of Fame game, with the caveat that they could make adjustments for health and safety concerns if necessary. The league also evaluated several contingency plans. They worked with the NFL Players Association, of of course, um, needing their approval and medical experts on a set of protocols that they could possibly go through one of the contingencies is delaying the season until mid-october according to the sports business journal there's also empty stadiums no bye weeks that have been discussed other sports like the nba and major league baseball have talked about plans that would involve playing at a neutral site like walt disney world las vegas or arizona but the nfl not in that camp not considering that option the nfl schedule is expected to not also to include a, uh, a lot of Saturday games. A lot of people were wondering about that, despite uncertainty about whether college football can start its season on time. Meanwhile, the NFL and NFLPA have agreed to keep buildings and facilities closed for teams until every state in which a team resides in uh, lifts their stay-at-home mandates. So w- until all teams are available to get into those facilities, no one team will be allowed. Teams are uh, prepared to conduct their off-season workouts and June minicamps entirely online, entirely virtually. Rookie minicamp as well taking place uh, as, as well. Pete Carroll talked about rookie minicamp being all online.
3: Rookie minicamp has already been made. Uh, we're going to have it. It's going to be a virtual one. though. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, so that's, that's kind of our first step. That's a couple weeks from now, and the uh, way we go. The off season is, is begins Monday, and uh, our guys are all they, they've got their format to work out, and we'll be starting the in classroom stuff with them, of course. But um, they've got a lot has to be done on their own.
2: Pete also explained uh, after the draft how he and the coaching staff are adapting their program within the social distancing guidelines. And we're
3: really in, in the mode of adaptation, you know, through everything. Look what we just did, you know. Everything is is kind of fluid and on the move, and, and you've got to be flexible. And it's going to be the same with, with, our, with our guys when we, we, as we start on Monday. You know, Monday at 10 o'clock, here we go. We're, we're in the, the virtual phase one for the first time ever. Um, our coaches have spent a lot of time trying to be creative and inventive in, uh, in, in how we're going to present stuff uh, to try to capture them. You know, one of the things about our program is so energetic and there's so much interaction and, and relationship stuff that goes on. This is going to be different, and, and it's going to tax us in different ways. Uh, so. You know, we're looking for all of the the edges that we can find and the nuances we can create that will make this a really uh, special and unique time that will be meaningful. Uh, it's going to be different, though, of course. And so, um, we're, all I can tell you is it is it's just one big challenge. And so, what we have to do as coaches is continue to, to push ourselves to see things new and see things new for the for the first time again. Uh, that we won't know until after our first we are going to have a meeting with 90 guys, or 70 guys are going to be on that that, that call on Monday, you know, and then I'm going to start it off, and here we go. And then they're going to split up, and they're going to have to go to their, their own coaches. And, you know, so we have to – I mean, just just think of the technical challenges that we have. But um, we have been practicing, like always, whatever we're doing. If you you got to practice to get good at it, and our coaches have all been working at it, and we're, we've been envisioning how this is going to go. And um, it, it's going to be really fascinating to see how we work. I, you know, none of us can can project. What are we working towards? You know, are we working towards phase two? Are we working towards coming back together? We don't know. You know, we don't know about camp or any of that stuff right now. So we're just going to keep hope alive and just keep pushing and keep uh, keep these guys entertained and and uh, call on them to be very a very big part of what we're doing.
2: John Schneider sort of echoing that and saying, when it comes to the season, they have to prepare for several different scenarios.
0: Yeah, you know, we have to prepare for different scenarios and and I, Pete and. And his staff are doing that right now, uh, with the virtual learning, and you know our strength conditioning staff, and uh, you know those guys have put out programs for the guys to follow. And and uh, you know these guys are pros, so they know they're going to have to. At some point, they're going to have to come in here and compete, but we don't know uh, exactly what that's going to look like. We have to be prepared for several different uh, scenarios.
2: Meanwhile, while the league is going through that, um, different teams are taking different approaches to. To uh, managing their facilities and the Miami Dolphins, they already put together early plans for how to host fans in their stadium during this season. During a segment with Good Morning America, Dolphin CEO slash president Tom Garfinkel revealed. Their plans of new entrances, at least mock-up plans, into Hard Rock Stadium that would help follow social distance guidelines. Uh, He said, quote, we would have times to come in for security at different gates so people would be separated out in terms of when they enter the stadium. We would exit the stadium much like a church environment where each row exits so people aren't filing out all at the same time in a herd. The plans also included colored dots on the ground leading up to the entrance, which designate the distance needed between fans as they file into the stadium. If you've ordered from a restaurant or gotten takeout recently amid uh, everything going on with COVID-19, you might have seen these or been in a grocery store even where people have these designated on the floor. So uh, Hard Rock Stadium approaching this with those same type of precautions. They can hold approximately 65,000 fans for a football game, but the Dolphins said they might be down to 15,000 fans for the next season as they adjust with their different setup. And the Hard Rock Stadium, keeping in mind, became the first public facility to earn the GBAAC Star Accreditation. That's the standard being used for facilities to implement cleaning, disinfecting, and infectious disease prevention work practices to control risks involved with infected. Infectious agents like the coronavirus pandemic. So that accreditation also paving the way for Hard Rock Stadium to reopen and potentially eventually host fans for events once the NFL season begins. But that's a lot of ifs uh, in there as well, assuming that the NFL season will start on time. We know now, at least though, that we will see the schedule on May 9th. Coming up on The Blitz, uh, one of my favorite uh, episodes so far of, of the last dance was yesterday. Not only because I love sneakers and we got to see the origin story of Air Jordans, but also a cool moment when you heard Kobe Bryant speaking about Michael Jordan and their relationship. More on that next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.
3: You're
1: listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines studio.
2: Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you. Thanks for hanging out this morning. Monday, May 4th, officially in May. NFL schedule going to be released soon. And uh, as teams move through this unprecedented time, where they are trying to connect with uh, each other virtually. There's also some other cool connections that are happening, including Shaquim and Shaquille Griffin, twin brothers who had a great time at UCF, always t- chatting about their UCF pride. Well, they took part, this is really cool, in the UCF commencement speech, dressed to the nines, by the way, for this, but I thought they had some pretty cool remarks for all of the students, and I'm just going to play you an excerpt uh, from the Griffin Twins' commencement speech. Don't let
4: adversity, and don't let obstacles stop you from being great. Don't let obstacles stop you from helping the next person out to you. Look to your left and look to your right and know that you got people behind you supporting you and always know that you're never alone. I got you, night Nation got you. We all got each other, so I always remember that. And one thing I want all of you to take with you, while you're leaving this beautiful campus and you can't come back unless you're coming for more schooling, help somebody out, be great, change the world, that's what we're here for. That's what we came to UCF for, because we wanted to help and we wanted to change the world, we want to make the world a better place. If I know I can help one person, that one person can help 10, and that 10 can help that thousand later. So with your help, with your greatness, the United Nation greatness, Let's make the world a better place. And I'm pretty sure I'll be seeing all of you out there. Night Nation, follow along. Congratulations. I'll be seeing you soon. And one more thing. Night Nation being the best nation, we refuse to be put in a box or be categorized and think that what we can't be and what we will be, let's continue to be great because we are great and we are this future. So like my brother said, let's change the world. Go nice.
2: That's pretty cool, Griffin Twins. You can see the full commencement speech. I think it's just over seven minutes long online. Both of their uh, Twitter accounts, I believe, retweeted that, and uh, the Knights putting that out online as well. Uh, this past week, we are joined by Joe Fan of NBC Sports to talk about this defense uh, on where Jordan Brooks. First off, the linebacker fits into this linebacker core. You know, my
5: thought was his way on the field was going to be a Sam as a rookie with KJ Wright playing out the end of his contract uh, in 2020 and then, you know, potentially becoming a free agent, and whether he re signed for no money or not, who knows. But, um, you know, I think the writing was on the wall and Jordan Brooks is the will linebacker of the future for the Seattle Seahawks. I think now that, you know, you've hear, heard some of what John Schneider has said and you hear KJ Wright had surgery on his shoulder. And, you know, even last year, there were some times where Pete Carroll would, would pull him out of the series and give Cody Barton some run. And, Um, I I, I think the Seahawks might want him to be a part-time player, which makes a move to Sam make a whole lot of sense. So if they give Brooks the opportunity to say, hey, this can be your job, you can go out and take it, and he comes into camp and proves that he's capable of of handling that week one, I think is a win-win situation for everybody.
2: How about will things stand with the defensive line in particular? Jadevi and Clowney, Joe Fan? still optimism on Clowney returning to Seattle. You know,
5: there might be a part of him that's been offended and his ego's hurt a bit for in terms of not getting the offers he wanted. Uh, you know, he the thought that maybe, okay, I've waited this long. I owe it to myself to, to keep waiting. Um, but I, it just I keep going back to the familiarity. And if you're going to have to sign a one-year deal and try to get your value back and go to like the market again in 2021, it just makes too much sense to come back to Seattle. And I get it that, um, you know, they off you know didn't give you a ton of support. Um, I think you looked at Ziggy Onza, who was a huge detriment, in my opinion, to Clowney because you just gave him nothing on the other side. He's working with a better supporting cast. He knows the locker room. He knows the scheme. He knows what's going to be asked of him. The Seahawks know him. So they know exactly how they want to use him. Um, so, to me, it just feels like year two would be so much better for him uh, than it was in year one.
2: If Clowney doesn't return, Joe Fan, NBC Sports, talking about some possibilities there, including Everson Griffin.
5: If it's not Clowney, I think Everson Griffin makes sense. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a two-year deal, probably. Um, you take some of the pressure off your rookies. You know, Daryl Taylor, obviously, we know that he's the prize uh, on the defensive side or defensive line from the draft class. But Alton Robinson has, uh, you know, surprising amount of upside for a fifth-round pick. I mean, that's. Not not a type of upside you usually find at that, that kind of um, scarce uh, position that late in the draft. So I'm curious to see how he develops. Um, so I think you know, not having to go in on a you know six-year, hundred-plus million-dollar contract, which is what you'd have to do with a, with an Ngakwe, um, I think makes a lot of sense.
2: Uh, also, Pete Carroll with some interesting comments about the nickel position. And what did Joe Fan make of Carroll's answer, what they are going to do there? You
5: know, he kind of gave this intriguing slash ambiguous answer, which, you know, you get. There's no need for him to tilt his hand or show his hand early. But um, it did sound like it's all coming from within. So um, they like Trey Flowers a lot. He's not the player that, uh, that Dunbar is. So if Dunbar is able to stay healthy and win that job, you have Trey Flowers. Maybe he's a nice matchup for bigger uh, slots receiver-type players, like Lance Gerald, or if teams are throwing tight ends in that spot, um, you might like him in that matchup. Hugo Almaty might still get some run. You know, He showed some problems as a rookie. Marquise Blair, you have to find a way to get him on the field. He's your second-round pick in 2019. Um, and right now, he's behind Bradley McDougald and Quandre Dix. Maybe maybe he goes to uh, free safety uh, in those situations and Quandre Dix goes to nickel. Uh, that's probably the, the least possible, in my opinion, just because of what Quandre Dix gives you at the back end of your defense. But I think there's enough depth in the secondary to where you can play around with some chess pieces.
2: Well, it was pretty cool to watch the last dance yesterday and uh, see Kobe Bryant talking about Michael Jordan after a pretty mercurial rookie year. Some might say mediocre. Kobe Bryant made his first All-Star game in 1998 uh, he is at a very different point in his career than Michael Jordan, who was 34 years old at the time, the veteran, on his way to leading the Chicago Bulls, spoiler alert, to a six NBA championship. Does that count if it's a historical spoiler? I don't know. But despite being in very different stages of their careers, it was cool to watch their interaction and uh, and how they faced each other in the All Star game and started developing their relationship. Uh, I love the, this Michael Jordan in the locker room, just talking about Kobe as a player.
6: You don't let the game come to him. gonna no, no, you you know, no, you. You make this, this a one on one game. Yeah, but, I forgot the first four didn't
7: <laughs> <What>? <laughs> hey, you want this ball again, brother? You better rebound.
2: <laughs> Kobe Bryant saying it was pretty cool to go up against Jordan in the All Star game after watching him on TV for so long, and then this quote about Jordan being like a big brother to him.
7: Oh. It was a rough couple of years for me and coming into the league because at the time the league was so much older; it's not as young as it is today. So. Nobody was really thinking much of me. I was a, you know, a kid that shot a bunch of air balls, you know what I mean? And at that point, Michael provided a lot of guidance for me. Like, I had a question about shooting his turnaround shot, so I asked him about it. And you know, he gave me a great, detailed answer. But on top of that, he said, if you ever need anything, give me a call. It's said, my big brother. You know, I truly hate having... Discussions about who would win one-on-one. You're fans saying, hey, Cove, you beat Michael one-on-one. I feel like, yo, what you get from me is from him. I don't get five championships here without him. Because he guided me so much and gave me so much great advice.
2: That was pretty cool. Uh, more from the last dance later in this hour. But up next on the Blitz, uh, it's time to dig into yet another another member of the Seahawks draft class. With the second pick in the fifth round, the Seahawks selected their second defensive end of the draft. Alton Robinson we will learn more about him and where he'll fit into that D-line. It's next on the Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.
3: From the Alaska Airlines studio,
1: this is The Blitz.
2: Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz hanging out with you Monday, May 4th. Every morning at 6.30 a.m., we are taking a closer look at one of the newest Seahawks draft class members. And we're already into the fifth round. Defensive end Alton Robinson next on our list. list the seahawks selecting him in the fifth round second pick in the fifth round out of syracuse here was that phone call from robinson uh to robinson from john schneider
0: hey alton hey, what's up? hey it's john schneider i'm general manager for the seattle seahawks hey what's going on coach yeah you, you had a good conversation with coach hurt yes sir we did well then let's get after and get after the quarterback all right yes sir all right man congratulations we're going to select you right here okay Alright bro. Hey, time to be a pro, right? Yes sir. Yes, okay, sir. okay, man. And uh Coach Carroll's gonna give you a call, and then the then the defensive staff will give you a call, okay? Alright. Alright, congratulations. I'll hook back with up with you later, all right? Alright, thank you. Alright, man. All right.
2: So polite, uh, and much more calm than I would probably be in that situation. But Robinson out of Converse, Texas, 6'3", 264 pounds, ran a four six nine forty 40-yard dash at the NFL Combine, was set to stay in state with a Texas A&M scholarship, but unfortunately facing an alleged robbery charge. It was later dismissed, but ended up costing him uh, the A&M offer, ended up signing with Northeast Oklahoma A&M instead, earned second-team all-conference honors in his only season there, and ranked 3rd among junior college players with 14 sacks. Syracuse then offering him a spot, he started 10 of 12 games he played in his first year uh, with the Orange, 30 tackles, 6 for loss, 5 sacks. Uh, stepped his game up though, continued to progress as a junior, second team all ACC honors and was named the Syracuse's uh, Syracuse's most outstanding defensive lineman, not bad after posting a team high 17 tackles four loss and 10 sacks ranking second in that conference 12 starts for him then as well he was an honorable mention all conference selection with 46 tackles and four and a half sacks and was the second defensive end selected in the draft for the hawks after daryl taylor out of tennessee was taken back in the second round at the time when taylor was taken john schneider uh really liked him and what he brought
0: he played through a a stress fracture last year in his leg and and uh, in his fibula and and uh, just sucked it up and then ended up having surgery at the end of the year and uh, doctors feel good about him and uh, we've seen him run around and we had him in for a visit he had a great visit with the staff it was he was actually the the last guy we had in uh, before you know the, the quarantine came into effect so uh, just really excited um, and I know the coaching staff very excited about you know a guy that that you know. He not really put his hand on the ground and, and jump off the ball and, and uh, you know, play with really good leverage and effort and work his way back to the quarterback.
2: Passwash, obviously a huge area of need for this team. And as we know, during free agency, Jadavian Clowney was part of that mix. Where do they stand with him at this point? Schneider says uh, he is still they're still in conversations with him.
0: Well, I think they've gone very well, especially in trying to, to hang in there with uh, Jadavian as well. You know, we... Uh, we gave that a go um, several times. Uh, he just—he's in a position that he wasn't ready to make a decision, and and uh, and that's good. So that that's fine. But we had to—we had to—we uh, we, we got to keep going and, and conducting business.
2: But still, plenty of uncertainty there in the free agent additions. So their hope is that Robinson can add uh, to this pass rush effort. And according to his NFL scouting reports, so I'll just read you an excerpt. He said, quote, twitched up edge rusher with exciting potential to become a disruptive factor in NFL backfields with a more skilled and willful approach. Robinson has the burst and bend to become a pass rushing problem for tackles early in his career, but his approach is, quote, to one trick and needs workable counters to become less predictable. I did love hearing from Jim Nagy on Alton Robinson and said that he's versatile.
5: You go back to his junior tape at Syracuse when he had the double digit sacks and on tape, he he's really a different guy because on tape he looks like a guy that's you know six four six five. He plays really long. And then we got the verified measurements back over the summer, and he was like whatever six two in chains. I was like, wow, that guy plays long for a six two body type. But the cool thing about him, like he can win with speed and he can win with power. Like he he's got a really nice get off. Uh, he's got that powerful long arm move. He can he can beat you in a lot of different ways.
2: He also spoke to the media. Alton Robinson did, and talked about being in every down defensive end and college. At
8: Syracuse, I was an every down DN. Um, we played a uh, we played a four three, so I was primarily like a five technique, nine technique, six technique, um, and I was every down DN. Though uh, we were definitely a attack react and defense though.
2: Also, spent some time locally in Bellevue uh, working out with Cliff Averill. And Cliff Averill commented on training with Alton Robinson. And what really impressed him about him was his mind and his appetite for learning. Outside
6: of just watching this film and seeing how productive he, he was, it was more so like the questions that he was asking. Because as a veteran, as a veteran player, and I still have that mindset for whatever reason, the first thing I look for in rookies when they walk into that locker room is, are they asking questions or do they come into this locker room thinking they know everything, right? Because that's going to be the difference maker in a player that's going to actually grow and become something in this NFL or a player that's just going to fizzle out after a little bit of time because he already assumes he knows everything. And Alden was uh, the guy that was, you know, he asked about football, of course, but then the things uh, outside of football, you know, what, what is, quote-unquote, the life like? How do you take care of your body? What, what it, does it take to be a productive pro? And that was huge for me. And once I I realized where his mindset was, it made it that much more fun uh, for me to be around him and kind of teach him the game a little bit.
2: Alton Robinson, on making that connection with Cliff Averill. It was
8: very, like, position-specific more than anything because at the facility I was training at, um, we would go, like, three three times a day, six days a week. So it was very, like, when when I got work with Cliff, it was, like, one or two days out the week, and it was everything, like, very position-specific to where, like, body mechanics and things like that that will be the difference between getting to the quarterback and getting the sack and getting close to the quarterback.
2: Pete Carroll was asked about him working out in Bellevue, said it didn't sway him to drafting him.
6: With Alton Robinson, did his working out here a little bit locally with Bobby, KJ, Cliff Averill and stuff, did that help you guys at all on getting an evaluation of him? No.
8: No. i would say no.
3: No to that. Um But it's good that that he's been around and he's getting familiar with our guys and and all that. That's great. Um, He's he's very determined to be part of something, you know, unique and special, and I'm really excited about bringing him in. He he just happened to – he's got some sense. Look what he did. (laughs) He he came to town here and started working out with our guys, and and, uh, next thing you know, he's the teammate. So um, I'm going to keep my eye on this guy. I want to see what he thinks he needs to do next (laughs) because that was pretty, uh, pretty inventive.
2: Trained with uh, Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright as well. So has some connections already on this team and on Robinson saying he thinks the Seahawks defense fits him who he is as a player. When
8: I thought about it before the whole thing, I was definitely interested because um, just talking with like Cliff and like knowing the scheme and stuff like that and how like Cliff, like Cliff explained it and how it was between like him and like Michael Bennett, all those guys he played with. And like just for like, the scheme and all that stuff, like getting off the ball um, it's just like that's. After talking with him, that's like the style of defense that like I feel like is the best kind of defense. So I'm definitely excited to get up there.
2: And something you've heard here plenty of times in Seattle always competes. And Dalton Robinson saying he prides himself on how competitive he is. I feel
8: like one of the things I pride myself in most is um my like relentless like competitiveness. Like um you know being a defensive lineman, you know you're going against the same guy pretty much the whole game. It's you and that offensive tackle. Um, and I just think. Out of 10, I want to win seven. Um, so I know I was bred to believe I can't always be the biggest, fastest, strongest, but working hard um, can can overcome a lot of that.
2: Definitely fits in well here in Seattle. That was defensive end Alton Robinson getting to know him a little better. Only two more players on our list as we make our way through the rookie class. Up next on the Blitz. Plenty of NFL headlines, including the Kansas City Chiefs adding another developmental quarterback to their roster. Also, Andy Dalton signing a one-year deal with the Cowboys, how that went down and what it means in that quarterback room, which is now getting a little crowded. Next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.
3: Listening to the Blitz
1: from the Alaska Airlines studio. It's time for the Hot List.
5: Holy mackerel! The
1: headlines for the day in sports every morning at six forty-five.
4: Heck yes! What are we missing
5: here?
1: A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's
4: go!
2: I'd say Andy Dalton had a pretty mercurial week. Yeah, released by the Cincinnati Bengals on Thursday, the team where you were the starting quarterback for the past nine seasons, but probably ended on a little slightly better note for him. After the former TCU product agreed to a one-year deal with the Dallas Cowboys, the team announced on Saturday, uh, Dalton lives in Dallas and will not have to move his family during uh, a crazy off-season. All, all the more uncertainty with the COVID pandemic as well. So it's to stay at home, essentially. And his deal has a base value of $3 million, could be worth up to $7 million, according to Adam Schefter. So pretty big insurance policy for them in Dallas uh, if Dak Prescott not able to play for any reason. Uh, Many assume Dalton, though, would be in a position to find a spot with a less secure starter than Dak Prescott because the Cowboys' opinions on him haven't changed and they're sticking to their narrative, which is they are trying to get him signed to a long-term deal. But uh, but ended up maybe taking the security of playing in a, in a place uh, that's close to home. Plus, not bad money, right? Right? Dalton was set to earn seventeen point seven million in the final season of a six-year ninety-six million dollar contract. So considerably more there as well. But in nine seasons with the Bengals, Dalton also had a seven sixty one seventy sixty one and two record helped them reach the postseason in each of its first five seasons, but was unable to win uh, a starting game. Marcus Spears on Gullick and Wingo this morning said he thought Dalton uh, is going to have trouble with the backup role.
6: A little different now. I don't want people to just, like, let this fly by the wayside because there's an assumption that Dak will get a deal done. We've been talking about Dak getting a deal done for them near a year and a half. Correct. Um, And Andy Dalton just relenting to be a backup quarterback to Dak, to me, that is not my experience with starting quarterbacks in the NFL.
2: Does join the QB room with Dak Prescott, whose starter status is not in question, at least at this time. The Cowboys exercised the exclusive franchise tag on Prescott back in March at a cost of $31.4 million. They have uh, been pretty vocal about wanting to sign Prescott to a multi-year deal since last offseason but have not been able to come to terms both parties on a deal that would make him one of the highest-paid, if not the highest-paid QBs in the NFL. 26-year-old Prescott has not missed a game in his career, but the Cowboys viewed this as an opportunity uh, to add a starter-caliber quarterback as their backup for $3 million uh, as of now. Cooper Rush has served as Prescott's backup the past three seasons, but has just thrown just three passes as a restricted free agent, he's set to make $2.1 million in 2020. Trey Wingo this morning saying, well, the Cowboys just gave themselves a $3 million insurance policy.
1: The Cowboys historically, uh, whether it was Romo or, or, or it had to be Romo because Dak hasn't missed a game on purpose, when they've had, you know, whether it was Matt Castle or some, they had very little success with their backup quarterback. And a guy like Andy Dalton, who's been to three Pro Bowls and... Hasn't won a playoff game, but has been in a a lot of postseason games. What they're just doing is, is giving themselves a $3 million insurance policy. But you're right, Junior. Until the Dak Prescott deal is signed, everything's going to be looked at with that sideways eyebrow. Like, really? This is what happened here?
2: Could it be a leverage play in terms of Dak and his contract? Marcus Spears saying it's more than just a backup role.
6: Here's what I just have a hard time believing. I have a hard time believing that you just signed Andy Dalton, who was a nine-year starter in this league, has been to playoff games, and you are just settled on the fact that he's going to be a backup quarterback when you currently have no contract with your perceived franchise guy. I don't know if you guys can go through history of the NFL, but I don't remember a young, capable guy that has been a starter in the league for nine years to come in as a backup during a contract dispute with a proposed franchise guy and it not mean that it's either a leverage play or we're preparing not to have the guy that we thought we would have who's perceivably our franchise guy.
2: Dan Orlowski also echoing some of that and saying Dak lost a little bit of leverage with the Dalton signing, but uh, but we'll see. Dalton, the three-time Pro Bowler. Prescott, a uh, two-time Pro Bowler in his four seasons. The only other NFL team with multiple quarterbacks who have each made multiple Pro Bowls is, this is a good trivia question for this morning. That would be the Atlanta Falcons. Starter Matt Ryan has made four, and Matt Schaub has made two. The Saints, Ravens, and Bears all each have multiple QBs who have made it at least once. Speaking of quarterbacks, the Kansas City Chiefs add another to their lineup uh, to serve as backup to Patrick Mahomes. They agreed to terms with undrafted rookie Shea Patterson out of Michigan. The Chiefs also recently short signed Jordan Te'amu, who played with the St. Louis Battlehawks of the XFL. Uh, veteran Chad Henney recently re-signed with the Chiefs on a two-year deal. Will enter the season as Mahomes' main backup, but now just adding a little bit more depth there. Patterson and Te'amu were teammates in 2017 at Ole Miss, actually. year before Patterson transferred to Michigan, uh, he Patterson threw for just under 9,000 yards in his four collegiate seasons. Two at Ole Miss and two at Michigan. Uh, Pretty cool episodes of The Last Dance yesterday, the history as just a huge sneaker fan. I'm not cool enough to be a sneaker head, but uh, I do love sneakers and the history of Air Jordans and what they meant culturally was pretty cool to see right off the bat in that episode last night. And... You learned that Converse passed on signing Jordan, uh, and that's why he ended up at Nike. But Michael, I can trade Wingo this morning on Converse not signing Jordan. Basically,
7: Converse said, we can't market Michael Jordan above all these guys. So, you know, sorry, we're out. And it was Nike basically saying, hey, no, we believe not only in this guy, but then in the future idea... Now, you can take one athlete in particular and give them a platform, give them their own
1: signature, and it's going to sell. Uh, and to that point, it's going to sell. They were hoping, Nike, they would sell $3 million worth of Michael Jordan shoes over what, three years? Over the first
7: three years, they wanted to sell $3 million worth. <laughs>
1: and in the first year, they sold $126 million.
2: <laughs> That's crazy. Um, also, it was the best deal. Nike offering uh, above and beyond what many people suggested at that time and it paid off huge dividends and the Air Jordans then becoming a piece of a cultural icon a piece of history it was also cool to see the relationship between Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan beginning with the 1998 all-star game and uh, Michael Jordan sort of being like a big brother to Kobe Bryant and Kobe talked about that talked about going up against Jordan in the all-star game.
7: I grew up watching Michael on TV, and now you got a chance to go face-to-face with him. You get a chance to really see and like touch and feel, strength, speed, quickness, and um, it was fun to be out there.
2: Jackie McMullen, ESPN NBA senior writer, also talked about the relationship yesterday between Jordan and a young Kobe.
7: So he was going to talk trash to Kobe and try to beat him, but afterwards, what does he say to him? Hey, kid, call me anytime. And Kobe... Did. In fact, during the lockout-shortened season, the 98-99 season, when they weren't playing, he called and spent an hour on the phone talking to Jordan about how to body up against bigger defenders, a bigger, stronger guards. He was having trouble with that. And that started a, almost a two-decade-long correspondence because all Kobe wanted to be was Michael. And Michael didn't mind it. He saw a lot of himself in Kobe.
2: Michael Wilbon also, who was in the documentary, talked about a story about these two players.
7: Kobe called him
8: all the time. Each one of those guys, they were worried that people outside looking in would take it the wrong way. Just going after each other a little bit. I remember Mm -hmm. a night when I was waiting outside the Laker locker room and Kobe had had some great game. where he had like 45 and, you know, nine rebounds and whatever. And as he walked in the locker room, I got an elbow and Kobe said, what would your boy have done tonight? And he wow. would laugh, and i said, say, will you let me write about this? And he'd say, no, no, no nobody's going to understand it. And it was such joy that, that, that this was going to get back to Michael. <laughs> and that relationship was closer, I think, than anybody understood until at the memorial when Michael had the reaction he did and told the story about Kobe being a nuisance to a point as a little brother. There was such fondness on a daily basis there for years.
2: That's pretty cool. Looking forward to the final four episodes of The Last Dance airing uh, next Sunday and the next two episodes. Tampa Bay Rays ace and local product Blake Snell won the inaugural MLB The Show Players League on Sunday with a three-game sweep against the Chicago White Sox's Lucas Giolito. Snell's Rays beat Giolito's White Sox 5-1 in Game 1, 3-2 in Game 2, and then 6-0 in Game 3 in the Best of 5 Championship Series. The three inning games were televised on ESPN, real play-by-play and all. And the coolest part, the Boys and Girls Clubs of the Suncoast will receive $25,000 a donation thanks to Snell's championship victory. Also, just always root for the hometown heroes. In addition, MLB, the Players Association, and Sony donated $5,000 on behalf of each participating player to a Boys and Girls Club affiliate in their team's community. Players from all 30 teams competed in the league, which featured a 29-game regular season. There was some other cool awards uh, that they voted on, including Best Twitch Name, because all these games were broadcast on Twitch. That went to Beau Bichette of the Toronto Blue Jays, Bo Flows which I really appreciate. Uh, most entertaining streamer went to Brett Phillips of the Royals. The Best reaction, this is great. Reese Hotskins, Reese Lightning of the Phillies, and Cole Tucker of the Pittsburgh Pirates. During their game against each other, Tucker vowed uh, to Reese that he would name his firstborn child after him if he homered in his next at bat. So what did he do? Uh, he proceeded to homer on the next pitch. So we'll be, we'll be looking out for uh, that, uh, that name here. In the future, the Bengals informed wide receiver John Ross that they will not be picking up the fifth-year option of his rookie contract, according to Adam Schefter. Ross, the former Washington product selected ninth overall in the 2017 draft, has had a hard time staying on the field, dealt with a lot of injuries during his first three NFL seasons. Played a total of 24 games. He's just 24 years old. Is set to earn 2.8 million in base salary in 2020. Under the rules of the current CBA, the value of Ross's fifth year option would be equivalent to the transition tag for a wide receiver since he was a top 10 pick. In 2020, the transition tag for a receiver was worth $15.7 million. In 2019, he was on the verge of a promising season. Things started out well, especially with that game in Seattle, uh, but he also injured his sternoclavicle uh, joint in week four and was placed on injured reserve, so finished last season as a reserve. So unfortunate uh, for John Ross not having uh, his option, his fifth-year option, picked up. That's a wrap for the hot list and the entire Blitz at Six Sour. Danny and Gallant coming your way with plenty more right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.